And welcome to Pod Pod. I'm Rihanna Dillon, and I am joined this week by Adam Shepherd, editor of Pod Pod. Hello. Hi. And also Reem Makari, journalist and reporter for Pod Pod. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming. I'm very excited to be in this intro. Um, Reem has done so much work on Pod Pod and is kind of always beavering away behind the scenes. If you go onto PodPod.com, there are some brilliant articles about podcasting. By Reem. So, th- no, thank you. <laughs> so, later on, we're going to be talking to Nicole Jackson, who is head of audio at the Guardian News and Media, but she also was an exec producer on Today in Focus. The Guardian have literally just dropped a new podcast, a pop culture podcast, which obviously, with my background as film and TV critic, I'm very interested in. It's called Pop Culture with Shante. And the first episode is all about Rihanna's new music. We're going to be digging into actually a lot in the world of The Guardian podcasting. But before we get to Nicole, there is another podcast that has just dropped, which is the Black Panther podcast Mm. from the Marvel Universe. Indeed. And this is largely why the first episode of The Guardian's podcast focused on Rihanna, because Rihanna has, in fact, just dropped new music for the first time in who knows how long as part of the Black Panther soundtrack. Yes, Lift Me Up. So this comes at the kind of the closing credits of Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. It's going to have you in tears if you've not seen it yet. Um, so the podcast is hosted by Tanahesi Coates, who says kind of very up top that he is a friend of director Ryan Coogler and he knew Chadwick Boseman very well. Mm. So I had like a couple of thoughts about that because it's a really... I think it's such a beautiful first episode, actually, Mm. because it is just talking to Ryan Coogler about Chadwick Boseman's death, the impact that he's had on Black Panther as a whole. Mm. But where do you guys stand on, you know, Marvel are putting out a podcast, which is obviously primarily to promote Wakanda Forever. And the host is a very, very, very dear friend of the director and the cast. Is Mm. this something that you think is possibly a little bit murky or do you think this is okay? I think it's great. I think it's because because podcasting is such an intimate experience Mm. and people feel very connected with the host to have someone who is so connected to the films and can really bring something genuine to the Mm. podcast is something really great. And you were just saying that you listened to the first episode and teared up listening to it. Yeah, I cried watching it, listening to the first episode. I haven't listened to to it yet, but I'm pretty sure I'll be crying as well. And I'm sure so many Black Panther fans are going to be in tears listening to this podcast. Mm. I think it's it's the only choice, really. Coates is the only person who could have fronted this podcast, you know, in addition to being a journalist, a writer, an activist. He's also written a chunk of Marvel's Black Panther comics mm-hmm. in recent years. I think 2016, I want to say. And because Black Panther as a film, the first one, was so impactful and such a cultural moment. I think the fact that Marvel is picking Wakanda Forever as its first tie-in podcast is really significant and I think a really really good choice. What will be interesting, I think, is whether or not they follow this up in subsequent releases that are maybe less kind of significant yeah and emotional yeah Yeah. absolutely whether it just becomes a a staple part of their sort of hype cycle or whether this is just because it's such a significant release especially with the uh the passing of chadwick boseman Mm. in between one and two 
I found it really interesting that this is the first podcast from Marvel that's part of the MCU because you think mm. with how much fans they have uh, for the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe that this is something they might have considered earlier. Yeah, I was like, wondering about this because it feels like a weirdly quite dated thing to suddenly be mm-hmm. putting out your first podcast when you are such a huge... I mean, what do you even call Marvel? <laughs> like, they just... <laughs> yeah, conglomerate everything. They kind of cover everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which you're a paid-up member of. <laughs> yeah, I know you're a huge Marvel fan. But I guess it makes me think about BBC Sounds, for example, have got mm. quite a lot of podcasts mm. where they will specifically hone in on a show and it will be very much from a BBC perspective Mm -hmm. Mm. so they have to get fans of the show it has to have interviews with the with the cast and crew there is something editorial about that it's it's like a trend yeah Yeah. it is but also what is there a line as consumers of podcasts is it just kind of paying lip service to a show or are we more interested in something that's more balanced does it matter if we're if we're listening to it it's because we're a fan what i think is a really good sign from that perspective is that they've got Coates fronting it because Coates does he has a deep connection to the film and the source material but he's also got credibility kind of as an actual journalist and and writer in a bunch of different areas. Mm. If it was being fronted by just a celebrity presenter or like reality TV star or like celebrity fan Mm. of the property, I feel like that would come across much more as just overt Mm. sort of advertising Mm -hmm. in a way that this doesn't really seem seem to be. Yeah, I do think it's an incredibly smart move Mm. on Marvel's part. Yeah, and I think if you continue that trend across the board, because Rima, as you pointed out, this is not this is part of a, a new trend of tie-in podcasts for properties and and organisations on this kind of scale. So House of the Dragon recently mm-hmm. had their tie-in podcast, and Callisto Protocol, which is an upcoming spiritual successor to Dead Space, which I'm very much looking forward to. I don't to. know anything of what you just said. Uh, video games. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's why. Uh, but that's getting a tie-in prequel podcast, which is like a narrative oh. horror thing, which is a really interesting concept. But again, part of this kind of trend towards tie-in podcasts. I feel like it's a very smart marketing move that a lot mm. of those uh, brands and companies are doing. Just because, you know, when you when you have um, shows and, and movies, usually when you're a fan of it, you go on YouTube and you go and you watch the interviews with the cast mm-hmm. members or you read articles about it and in-depth features so having podcasts uh, something that's directly from the company offering insight that you're not finding in the movie so for example the Black Panther podcast mm. it's uh, people uh, talking about uh, stories of when they've worked on it mm. and uh, stuff that you haven't heard before I think it's very smart and I'm uh, I think for fans it's something that they're really enjoying as well yeah. and it does feel like a really having listened to it a really safe space for Ryan mm. Coogler to, to talk about a really difficult, traumatic time mm. and for his friend to be asking him the questions. The best thing about this particular podcast was the space that the kind of silence where we heard him take a moment, collect himself, have a little cry. And that just feels like the most human, normal, genuine reaction. And I just feel like if he's on a you know conveyor belt of interviews and if it was me coming and asking him that question for this podcast you know you'd get such a different response it wouldn't nearly Mm. be so kind of genuine absolutely yeah it's a really special one Mm. 
So yes, The Guardian's new podcast delves into the link between Rihanna's new music, between Black Panther, and it's really interesting to hear from Nicole Jackson all about how The Guardian approaches their new podcasts in terms of the launch, in terms of the preparation, in terms of listener growth. So we do try and get as involved as possible in all of those nuggets. Here's me and Adam talking to Nicole Jackson all about The Guardian podcasts. Nicole Jackson, welcome to Pod Pod. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. I'm genuinely honoured to be here. It's such an exciting time for you because you have just launched a brand new podcast with The Guardian called Pop Culture with Shantae, which I've had a listen to. The first episode is all about Rihanna's new music. So obviously I was already in, my namesake. <laughs> um, so yeah, tell us a little bit about where the, the kind of idea for this comes from, how long this particular one has been in the works. It's been like quite a few months in the works and that is because we really wanted to do it properly. You know, I felt, first of all, there was like an obvious gap in the market, both I think within the sort of Guardian range of podcasts for something pop culture focused. And to be honest, I kind of think in the wider market, I don't feel like there's a ton out there that is kind of doing smart, like witty analysis of pop culture. Um, so that was our starting point. And obviously then the first thing we needed to do was find a great host. And mm -hmm. so we did a lot of piloting internally and externally. And actually, it was incredibly helpful because there were loads of people who were brilliant and we're going to get them back as guests. But writer and journalist Shantae just really stood out, I have to say, just like she had the thing, you know, and you just hear mm. it and you're like, ah, there it is. <laughs> and she really takes pop culture seriously. And that is what we wanted to do with this show. We didn't want it to just be a kind of lightweight run through. We wanted it to be entertaining and full of laughs, but you also wanted to take the subject seriously. And she really does that. And also, she's just like an absolute pleasure to work with works incredibly hard and I just want to give a shout out to the rest of the team as well because obviously as everyone listening to this podcast knows podcasts are made by a team of people and so we have a brilliant exec producer Maz Ebtahaj and a great producer Hattie Moya and the music by Axel Cacoutier who I think you guys mm. are familiar with and yes. sound design by Mal Lasetto. so it's been a really amazing team. And yeah, episode one launched on Thursday. As you say, it was about Rihanna. I think we're looking at The Crown next week or we're looking Ooh. at oh The my Crown God. soon. I know, I'm very excited That's going to that. be incredible. Okay, so you really are bouncing all over the place. These are two, you know, completely different ends of the spectrum kind of entertainment. There is so much I kind of want to unpack from your first answer. Let's start with pilots, because mm. you obviously at The Guardian, you do have access to so many potential up and coming new emerging talent. But also um, you have so many people already that, you know, are incredible podcasters. So in terms of who you pilot, where did you kind of start looking? What were you looking for? And what kind of things did you include in your pilot as well? Yeah, I mean, I just, I have to say, I mean, maybe it's a really obvious point to make, but I just think piloting is so important. I cannot imagine ever putting out a show that hasn't had a really kind of rigorous piloting mm. um, period. We were looking for people who were 
interested and knowledgeable about pop culture and internet culture. We were interested in people who would be able to give us enough time. So there were lots of brilliant journalists at The Guardian who I think could have done like an hour a week. And we're really lucky. We have two days a week with Shantae. And so she is like oh, really wow. involved. Yeah, from the beginning to the end, she doesn't just sort of turn up and read a script. Like she's in the planning. She's thinking about the guest bookings. She's writing all the questions. What else are we looking for? Obviously, people who have a kind of natural conversational tone. And I think that sort of applies, to be honest, to like lots of our podcasts. Yeah, I really want people to feel like they're eavesdropping on their smart friend explaining something. And, you know, I always think that's one of the massive advantages, isn't it? A podcast versus, say, radio. Like you don't have to comply with certain rules like we can make up the rules to a certain extent and I also I think because audiences skew younger and we were definitely in podcast listing and we were definitely trying to look for a younger audience with this podcast we were thinking about the kind of tone that people would respond to I will just say that I always think it's a mistake to try and make stuff specifically for quote unquote young people Mm -hmm. because I think you can end up feeling inauthentic and I think anyone can smell that a mile off. The other thing we thought about a lot as well is um, tone and structure. So, you know, we tried out various things. Is it going to be a magazine format? Should we try like three Mm. stories a week? Mm -hmm. Should we have like a roundtable discussion? Should we do a quick fire like Q&A at the beginning on five other stories that are doing the rounds? So we tried out lots of different ways of doing this show, as well as lots of different Mm. people doing it. What structure did you end up settling on? So we've ended up doing one story a week and, you know, that might be with one guest or it might be with multiple guests and we're trying to kind of answer a question at the top of it and, you know, I guess without sounding like too naff, have a like sense of a kind of narrative across the episode, you know, it's sort of, Mm. you know, we're trying to take you somewhere basically. And yeah, we structure it quite carefully. It isn't just sort of freewheeling. We definitely like go into the records having a sense of what we're trying to get out of the interviews. Having said that, I think Shantae really likes to be able to feel like she can like free range within the interview. So it's like, Mm. you know, we, we know we need to say hit points A, B and C, but if someone raises something really interesting like she'll go down that path and follow it with them it's not like a Mm. rigid right 10 minutes and you can only answer these questions type style yeah Mm. so I just want to pick up on the point you mentioned earlier you mentioned that you'd played around with a lot of different formats and that you wouldn't dream of launching a show without a pilot how many pilots did you do for pop culture and how many pilots do you generally end up doing before you launch any new show yeah I think I mean obviously there was like the whole piloting period with lots of different hosts and so gosh I don't know I want to say maybe like between 10 and 20 and then once we'd like decided on Shantae I think we did about and I say we really this was like Maz and her team I think they did about eight pilots I mean I think Shantae was like (laughs) no I think she was so over it at the end I saw (laughs) I saw that when she tweeted announcing that she was going to be the host she was like after a long piloting period so (laughs) (laughs) and you know I guess like Grace Dent Comfort Eating that's another one we did Mm. four pilots with that Mm. and I think Mm. with that we had a much clearer idea 
you know, at the beginning of the piloting of what the show was, it was a sort of, you know, your life through comfort food. But even then, you know, things like realizing how much information we needed to let the listener know before you get into the interview, you know, the um, food being a surprise so that Grace genuinely didn't know what was coming. Thinking about the tone that we really wanted to keep it kind of fun and entertaining and sort of like make it a kind of lighter listen for the week um all of that sort of came out during the piloting period and you know today in focus i think we piloted for about four three or four months i mean i cannot i just can't even think how many pilots we must have made for that show thank god no one's ever going to hear those (laughs) (laughs) grace dent's podcast it was interesting because i heard recently the mallory Blackman one which was I yes. really loved but it's interesting the format that takes because yes it's about comfort eating but she also goes through Mallory Blackman's life she goes through her guest lives right yeah and from from birth essentially up until the present day do you see the podcast that you do as always having these multiple strands because yes it's about food and about comfort eating but it's also about the great loves of her life it's about her parents mm. it's about her life experience so do you always have that in mind when you start a podcast about how many different ways it could actually go within one I think that we definitely always think about the sort of other layers that we can add into podcasts food is interesting but we definitely always thought it needs to be a vehicle for something bigger and I think Leah Green who was the series producer on the first couple of seasons and again she and Grace like really drove the kind of vision of that show I think they both thought comfort eating was such a good vehicle because Often food shows, food podcasts focus on kind of higher end food or like, you know, amazing meals and kind of fancy restaurants. And their thought was, what is that food that you eat at the fridge when no one's looking late at night? And that Mm -hmm. in itself is really revealing. I think also it gives a sort of intimacy having that kind of conversation. And then that also lent itself really well to kind of more personal conversations. Mm. So on that subject, then, The Guardian obviously has a huge history as a newspaper publisher. Yes. It's also been involved in podcasting for a long time. What do you feel that podcasting as a format allows you to do kind of as as journalists and as publishers that print publishing or even digital publishing maybe doesn't in the same way? Yeah, I mean, gosh, I think it lets you do so much. I don't know if everyone knows, by the way, do you know The Guardian like coined the term podcast? Yes, I was going to bring this up. This is a, a fabulous nugget. That was in 2004, I want to say. Yeah, yeah hearing asleep. this on a podcast, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, God, this has gone so insular. I know, I feel like such a nerd. I'm like, I don't know if you know this. Um <laughs> I suppose the reason I brought that up is I think that, as you've said, like The Guardian's got a long history of working with audio. And I think that that has really helped us now because we've really been able to like build on the success of some early shows. And when I think about why it works for us, for The Guardian... I basically think it's like a completely different way of consuming news. So there's this thing that we talk about. It's like the ears being entertained when like the eyes and hands are busy. Mm. So we can access Mm. people at completely different times to when, you know, they might be looking online or reading the paper. And I also think for the journalists and writers who work with us, particularly on Today in Focus, it's just a completely different way of telling your stories. A, you, the reporter 
become part of the story. Now that definitely, I think for some of the reporters took a kind of while to get used to because they obviously are instinctively used to taking themselves out of the story. But also it means, you know, a person that you spoke to for so 10 minutes and was a brilliant interview, but you can only like use three lines of them in your copy. Suddenly they become a real person, a character in one of the episodes, and you're able to sort of tell their story in a completely different way. I think bring their stories to life. We've really found that it's had huge impact. The journalists have found, they've said often that, you know, they can, a story will go up on the website or out in the paper and, you know, it might get some attention and then it will go out as a podcast and they just get so much feedback. And that, I think, really sort of tells you about the kind of power of podcasts to reach people. And of course, part of that is the way that you launch these podcasts, right? And we are just coming off the back of you having launched a very recent one. So can you talk a little bit about what is involved in a podcast launch from your perspective? Apart from obviously reaching as many people as possible, what are your actual aims with that? Yeah, I think that's such a good question as well, because like, obviously, sometimes it's just numbers, isn't it? It's like you really (laughs) want to launch something and get like huge listener numbers. But I think other times it's also thinking about impact. Is this a subject area that's being underserved or is it reaching an audience who are being underserved? And so I sort of think about that in terms of like success metrics. And then in terms of like what we do to launch, obviously, aside from all of the piloting, there is a brilliant press and marketing team and they work really hard with us and they help us think about like the sort of journey if you like to getting this show out and you know that means making sure that we've got good relationships with all the um, podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify you know um, we work with Acast who are absolutely brilliant and uh, you know thinking about trailers and getting them out early so we can build up a buzz thinking about what the campaign's going to be like so I think a really good example of that is the Grace Dent comfort eating campaign so Leia and Grace have come up with this really brilliant artwork I don't know if you have seen it but it's Grace basically reclining in a bar I have certainly seen it. Yes, <laughs> it's they were my real chips. Cover. No, yeah, it was. Like, oh, oh it just God. sounded absolutely oh God, brilliant for about fifteen seconds, and then completely horrendous for about three and a half hours. And she just said, obviously, the chips just got cold immediately, and then she was just sort of lying in a vat of fat, basically. And oh. she really needed to go go to the loo. I think within about half an hour, and obviously couldn't get out there. I'm sure she wouldn't oh, appreciate me. But totally worth it because the artwork is brilliant. And I think, you know, they thought about that. (laughs) But it's like eye catching, right? Because that is something you have to think about on that carousel. When you're like scrolling through mm. and there, you guys know this, right? There is so much out there now. Like yeah. what is the thing that might get you to stop? They also think about can they use kind of the Guardian obviously to help launch this? And I think we're really lucky. It's a massive, massive platform. And that has obviously allowed us to, to really lead mm. in podcasting output because we have this sort of huge machine of the Guardian behind us. So. Grace wrote an article. She went on some shows to talk about our podcast. We obviously had like adverts on the website and in the magazine. And obviously social is absolutely massive for us in terms of thinking about how we promote things. So yeah, there's a huge kind of team who are working with us to help get these shows out there and to help them reach the right people. Mm. So on the subject of The Guardian's enormous platform, they're looking beyond the launch phase. Yes. How do you leverage The Guardian's platform and the other tools at your disposal 
for audience acquisition and kind of listener growth over the long term? What's the kind of strategy behind that? Well, first of all, I think we definitely think about like quality over quantity. So as I said, we're not just like chasing the numbers for the sake of it. And so that doesn't mean just like saying to ourselves, right, we have to do eight shows this year. It's like really thinking about A, what we already have and can we build on that and can we make it better and how could we tweak it? Um, sometimes it means getting rid of things that aren't doing very well. So the year before last, we axed a couple of shows because they just weren't really kind of doing particularly well we just felt like you know it wasn't a good use of resource and that resource could be kind of diverted onto other existing shows or onto new shows so just quickly ballpark figure how many podcasts does the guardian have at any kind of one time that are Mm. actively in production so we've got today in focus we've got politics weekly uk and politics weekly us We've got Science Weekly. We've got two football shows, so Football Weekly and then the Women's Football Weekly. We've got Audio Long Read and Weekend Podcast. We've got Comfort Eating with Grace Dent, which I just mentioned. And we've got Pop Culture with Shante Joseph. And now we've just put out Can I Tell You a Secret? So I guess at the moment, I've got 10 weekly shows on the go. Uh, or nine weekly shows, one daily show, and then, yeah, a, another narrative series in production. So with Can I Tell You a Secret, which, as you say, is is a pretty kind of recent thing from The Guardian, this is what, the first kind of foray into true crime, really, that The Guardian has done? Obviously, it's an incredibly popular genre. It's something that as many people are trying to tap into as possible in whatever mm. format that is. But I guess the big criticism about true crime is that it can often be salacious and it can often be from the wrong perspective or it's made to excite when actually Actually, the stuff that they're talking about is incredibly nasty. So tell us about why you chose this particular subject, how you approach mm. true crime as a newspaper kind of behind you where you are, you're always supposed to give balanced views. Mm. It's such a good point you make because I even find the sort of word true crime a bit icky now, probably because I kind of associate it with like certain sort of things. And as you said, it can feel exploitative. So basically, we set out to make a standalone narrative. We definitely weren't looking for like a true crime narrative. But Shirin Kale, who is the host and reporter on the series, was working on this story about this guy, Matthew Hardy. He was a cyber stalker and he'd spent a decade terrorizing women online across the country. You could feel it was it could be a great podcast series. It had Mm. sort of all of these different elements, you know, the length of time that he'd been doing it and kind of the number of women that had been impacted by him. And she had gotten in touch with them. So she had these really strong relationships with all these women. And when we were talking about doing it, we obviously wanted to front and center their stories. But we were also really interested in understanding like why Matthew Hardy would have behaved this way because I sort of feel like you don't really get the story any further if you're not also looking at that and it's really Mm. difficult right because you're not trying to create an empathetic picture of this guy who undoubtedly did terrible things but I think if you don't understand why he did it then there's no chance of sort of trying to kind of put an end to it. Not that I'm saying we would have been able to put an end to his stalking, but I just mean in general. And so we also said to ourselves, right, 
we have to tell all these women's stories and we also have to try and tell his story and try and understand like what kind of was going on in his life that prompted him to behave this way. And I guess the other thing that I thought about was Shirin and I knew what an amazing journalist she is and also what a brilliant writer. And I always think writing is sort of so under talked about in podcasting, but it's so important, right? It's like the script is the thing often that sort of keeps us engaged. And so I basically thought if we can kind of get enough access to people who might give us a bit of insight into Matthew and I knew that the women were willing to talk to Sheeran because she had this good relationship with him I just thought that you know has all the potential and I mean we're very very grateful at what a success it's been and I think you know it went to number one in the um, podcast charts here in the UK and in Australia which is amazing and that's also I think partly because we sort of put the episode on different feeds which I'll talk about because I think that's another thing you were asking before about kind of how we utilize the sort of Guardian platform Mm. I think being able to kind of put episodes in some of the other podcasts really help drive an audience like discoverability is so difficult right but we put episode one in today in focus the Australia kind of sister podcast full story and then audio long reads and weekend and just episode one and then we said you know if you want to listen to the rest of this go and subscribe to can I tell you a secret and I think that had a kind of big impact on basically building numbers um but I think the other thing that we were really pleased about is that people really responded to the kind of nuanced story that we had tried to tell to try and understand kind of how Matthew's experiences when he was at school might have impacted the way he behaved around people he is autistic and he has learning disabilities and they also I think played into like how he perceived the world and how he felt the world perceived him you know we were interested in looking at kind of like resource and where there was a lack of resource so and I think you know I was glad that people sort of saw that we were trying to kind of tell a story in its kind of full sense and not just a kind of thriller basically. Mm. You mentioned earlier Axel Cacoutier, who we have had on the podcast, and he is across so many podcasts, actually, with his music. He's an incredible artist. So how much does the sound design and all of those kind of extra bits that perhaps smaller podcasts or independent podcasts might not be able to afford or be able to do, how much do you think that gives you an edge Yeah. Do you know what? That's such a good question because I think it's absolutely huge. And so I still feel bad saying that for kind of people who are listening to this and don't have massive resource. But I do think it's really important. You know, Axel joined us. He was one of the first people on the Today in Focus team. And I really think like his craft, his sound design and his scoring is what really kind of lifted that from being a sort of new show into something. You know, we try and make a kind of mini documentary each day. And I think his work Mm. on that really kind of transform that show and I absolutely think he did the same with Can I Tell You a Secret I mean he just as you've said is so incredibly creative and he just thinks about things with such kind of depth he's never just like whacking on a kind of bit of library music you know (laughs) I made a mini series with him and Oliver Lachlan who's the US Southern Bureau Chief at the beginning of the year called The Division and it was about a civil rights division that had been um, set up in New Orleans and the case of this one man in particular Quante Reader who'd been in prison for 28 years and he was saying he hadn't committed the crime and I would like urge you to go and read Axel's thread on his sound design Mm. because even though I had numerous conversations with him about it when we were working together even I had not appreciated like how the levels that he had thought about when he was thinking about the kind of music and sound design so that thread Mm. is really worth Mm. a read. 
And we will uh, link to that in the show notes for this episode. One thing I'm curious about, you touched on it briefly earlier. Rihanna, obviously, you are a very experienced broadcast journalist and radio journalist. I, as listeners will probably be able to tell, am not. Uh, so <laughs> don't what- be hard on yourself, Adam. <laughs> yeah, don't say that. You're doing brilliantly. I'll stop it. What I am curious about, though, is what the capacity and indeed the appetite is at The Guardian for taking traditionally written journalists and long-form journalists and essentially upskilling them to be podcasters and giving them some of that broadcast skill set. such a good question, yeah. Yeah, it is such a good question. And I think lots of things about this. I think, number one, we're, like, so lucky at The Guardian to have, like, really really good journalists who have like just adapted to work in multimedia really quickly and they're so willing to sort of put loads of time into it I think several things I think one sometimes like broadcast journalists can come with a slight broadcast quality Mm. and so there can be a real advantage I think of working with people who if you can sort of help them sound conversational and sort of usually that just means relaxing them right and making them feel Mm. that they're sort of Mm. well prepared in advance I feel like they don't switch into broadcast mode and so I, I feel like you hear a more natural conversation and I also think you know it's not video usually there's not a camera you're not having to worry about kind of how you look and I think after a while people do just tend to sort of like forget that they're being recorded I think you know that we're really lucky that all the hosts in The Guardian work really well with the journalists and that is because the audio team are incredibly nice and I know that sounds really banal but I that is just (laughs) such an important it's you can't so overlook important. the importance of niceness. <laughs> but I really, I like, I genuinely just think like being nice to work with is huge. Yeah. And I don't understand why it isn't kind of front of centre of what everyone thinks about when they're hiring. Well, especially in an audio medium where the mood you're in and the way you're feeling is inevitably going to come across so much in your voice and your delivery. Mm, Having a yeah. nice team around you is so, so important. Yeah, and I hope that, you know, the journalists in The Guardian, and it's not just like the journalists in the kind of newsroom here, but, you know, obviously we're a global news organisation, so we've got journalists all over the world. I think they really like working with the audio team. And, you know, the other thing I would say is like, you guys must feel this too, it's become easier and easier to make audio, right? It's like now when a journalist is going... And they say, I'm traveling out to here and I'm thinking about doing this. Do you want some audio? You don't even have to give them a Zoom and a mic. You can just say, great, can you please just record some of this on your phone? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when they come back, we can do an interview with them and use that kind of audio underneath. So in a way, you're not asking them always to like add on a huge extra workload to what they're already doing. You know, they often record their interviews anyway. And so I think like fitting Mm -hmm. audio into their sort of workflow has sort of helped us as well. As I said before, I think impact has really helped as well. So I think if there was any sort of sense of not skepticism, but reluctance, I think seeing the kind of impact that the shows have had have really helped encourage people to come and do audio. And I don't mean just impact as well for them. I mean, for the people that they're writing about. So Nasheen did a cost of living interview a few months ago with this woman who was having a really difficult time and she had a young son and it was a really brilliant interview and just went really in depth 
in a way that I think quite often you don't get on kind of news segments. And afterwards, hundreds of readers got in touch and they wanted to give her money and she didn't want that. So instead they bought her knitting patterns, which she talked about in the interview. And I think she now has a book deal. And I just feel like it's such a good example of like how (laughs) listeners engage with the stories. And I think the journalists really recognize that. So no, I think it's been absolutely brilliant basically having print journalists work with us and yeah I'm really hoping we can long continue to do it with them. Mm. You know I really appreciate you talking about the times when perhaps the podcasts have not been so successful but I kind of want to drill down into the the podcast launches again in terms Mm. of the ones that haven't necessarily been a success. How do you gauge if a podcast launch has not been so successful and how do you sort of keep that going you know keep kind of pushing it even after an unsuccessful launch to make sure that you might still get some growth because I think for a lot of listeners they might have these brilliant ideas they try and get it out there they might try and launch it and it doesn't necessarily hit the target so and obviously I know you're talking on a much bigger scale but yeah I've been really lucky since I took over the department that I have like I've been really careful with what we launched and so far touch wood everything has kind of been successful all killer no filler (laughs) (laughs) um but I'm just thinking about like how yeah I suppose what I would say to people who are thinking about making shows like what are you offering that is different to what is already out there like what is the edge that you have is it access is it the talent producing or hosting the show you know how much resource do you have because yeah I think there's a lot of content out there and it's almost Mm. become like a kind of joke right it's like I'll just make a podcast about that I guess for people who don't necessarily have have a big kind of platform or brand do you have any advice for making a podcast as visible as possible I think if you're going to do a quality show, and especially if you're going to do a daily show, I think you have to really commit to resourcing it properly. And I think that was a thing that I um, really admired The Guardian when they decided to do what became Today in Focus, that they basically went all in. So they decided they were going to do this daily news show, and then they really put a proper budget behind us. And it mm. meant that we could hire Anushka Stana, who was was a brilliant first host of the show and I think it was five producers at the time you know Axel to sound design Phil and I to exec it you know it was not done on a kind of shoestring budget but I think that really paid off and so I guess it's about thinking if you don't have a big budget what can you do for your money and maybe don't try and be too ambitious and end up with a like less good product because you've tried to over stretch yourself like if you don't have lots of money for like sound design then how can you make it sound kind of really rich I feel like a lot of people and a lot of organizations particularly feel like podcasting is easy or assume Mm, podcasting is easy before they get into it you know it's like oh we just you know stick some of our people in front of microphones and just have them talk for an hour yeah yeah and actually there's a lot more that goes into it in terms of things like sound design and scripting and branding even before you get to the editing and and kind of mastering side of things Mm. though it is I do think it's really worth 
like having your own projects like I know that um one of the producers I hired for today in focus when we were adding to the team there were loads of applications loads of like insanely talented people and he had made his own podcast at home and it was a music Mm. podcast and it was it was lovely but also it was it just I thought it like showed sound like I'm being patronizing but it just showed real initiative I was like so impressed he'd managed to put this thing together like literally from his bedroom I think also I guess think about like the intention of the podcast like do you definitely need to try and get it out kind of onto sort of iTunes or actually could you use it to then try and kind of get work elsewhere so media is in a bit of a kind of state of flux at the moment. I mean, arguably has been for the last ever, but particularly it feels like in the last couple of years, podcasting and video is playing a much kind of bigger role for established media organizations and publishers like The Guardian. What do you see as the role of podcasting in the future of the overall kind of media industry and kind of journalism as a whole? So I can obviously only really talk about The Guardian, but I imagine that like it will become a staple part of many media organisations. You know, if The Guardian's anything to go by, it's a really fast growing part of our organisation. I don't think now anyone would think about it not sort of being one of the key ways that we try and get our journalism out to people. Also, we think about the kind of things that we can now do around podcasts. So, you know, for example, sometimes like videoing some of the interviews and clipping them up for social, which I know lots of other people are doing, is a kind of really good way of reaching people. But we're also now doing live shows. We did a live show with Comfort Eating a few months ago, which was absolutely brilliant. And actually, we ended up putting it as a bonus episode in the feed because it was so funny. You know, Football Weekly did it first live tour of the UK and Ireland a few months ago too that was amazing and also like a way of us connecting with the listeners which felt gratifying thing for Max and Barry and Joel the producer to actually be able to kind of meet in real life all of these people who support the show every week and we think about IP as well you know that now when we're making things like can they have another life as TV series or a film Mm. you know the division and can I tell you a secret have had the rights bought to them so I feel like podcasts are also like a stepping stone, aren't they, in like the way of telling these stories. And are there any other podcasts that aren't from The Guardian that you've looked at and you've kind of seen succeed or do things really well that you've admired and that you kind of think, oh, maybe we should think about doing that in the future? Yes, I almost feel bad saying this, but um, I know he was on your show the other week. I love The Rest is Politics. I think it's a great show. Um, You know, I think they're both... I think, you know, in a way, it's such a simple show. And that is why I but it basically works off. Mm. I think they're the inside knowledge that they bring and the chemistry Mm. that they have between them. And I also think what they've been really smart and not confining it to UK politics. I really enjoy Mm. the fact that they do global politics. And, you know, that's something that I thought a lot about when we launched today in focus, you know, the daily was like absolutely killing it. You know, the New York Times daily news show. Mm. Um, But it was very kind of America focus understandably America is a huge country and I thought well you know what we have this like global network of incredible correspondents we really really kind of think hard about our global coverage at the Guardian and that is something that we should really kind of make sure that we sort of front and center in today and focus so we have a big global audience which I think is great and I think that also really helps with growth right we haven't confined our yes. audiences mm. on the whole to just UK audiences 
I mean, there are loads of other shows that I like. I listen to a lot. You know, I'm always interested in what Tortoise are doing. Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting, their pivot to audio. I'm listening to Pig Iron at the moment, which I'm Uh, enjoying a lot. I haven't started that yet. I'm saving it. (laughs) It's very easy, isn't it, to like look around at your competitors and to kind of get, I think you can sort of end up being too consumed with what everyone else is doing. Pod envy. Yeah, I think the most important thing I genuinely do is for me to think like, what can the Guardian do well? Like what, yeah, what resource can we use um, and what stories are are we, like how are we the right people to tell certain Mm -hmm. stories and not worry too much um, about what everyone else is doing? And also I think competition is really good. You know, I think it A, kind of probably makes all of us up our game a bit, but also people don't only confine themselves to one brand, right? Or one show. And in in that case, I suppose it's very different from the actual physical newspaper right because people might only ever buy the guardian their entire lives but it doesn't mean that they won't then stray outside of that and vice versa and i do think that is so huge yeah no definitely and i think that's huge for us as well that like we definitely reach an audience podcast can be the gateway to the guardian for some in fact i know it is for some of our listeners Mm. like we are the first thing that they go to and then they might like follow up online and that's I think that's so really interesting. Yeah. And I, you know, I thought that particularly whenever we work with investigations and they have amazing stories, but they can quite often be very sort of intricate and sort of sometimes data led. So it's lots of kind of numbers and statistics. And we have done a few kind of stories with them where we've really tried to kind of like untangle, if you like, some of the story and sort of present it to people in a different way, a more accessible way, if you like. We've had lots of feedback from people who have said, you know, I might not have gone and read that story, but then I listened to the podcast. I sort of understood the framing of it. And then I went and kind of read all of the content online. And do you push to that in your episodes as well? Is that all kind of in the show notes? Do you have episode pages for all of those where people can then find links on the Guardian website? Yeah. And also we like always kind of plug it at the end of the episode and say, you know, this is part of the reporting of like the Pegasus series. And if you want to read more, you should go onto theguardian.com. So yes, yeah, we do. Go onto podpod.com and you will find so much more. Good. <laughs> joking. Um, Nicole, thank no, you so not much. Joking. Absolutely do that. <laughs> um, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a, such a pleasure to talk to you and you're really kind of lifting the lid on um, what The Guardian are doing. It's really interesting. Thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much. So that was Nicole Jackson talking all about The Guardian, talking about their new podcast, talking about their old podcasts, her experience. And she's had so much experience, mm. actually. It was really interesting to hear the spread of the podcast that she's worked on. Reem, what was a kind of big moment for you listening I was, back? I thought it was amazing. Like, I thought that this was the most that I've actually learned about the logistics um, oh, of podcasting and how mm. much work goes into it, especially since she mentioned she does endless amounts of pilots uh, before actually launching an episode Mm -hmm. so she said between 10 and 20 i think it was probably more like 20 yeah it's definitely on the upper end yes and that was finding a host once they found the host they had eight pilots that's Mm. crazy which is amazing actually to hear that companies are putting so much kind of money and resources into podcasting that Mm. is quite cheering to hear 
It's nice to hear that that it is properly resourced. I mean, one of the really interesting things that we've heard from other publishers we've spoken to is that often it's just the journalists kind of doing it essentially off their own mm. backs and like working two jobs, basically. Mm-hmm. So it's really surprising, but nicely surprising to hear that The Guardian is just willing to shovel time and money into doing that many pilots for one podcast. Yeah. I also think it's great, like, seeing the amount of research and funding that goes into creating just one podcast. Mm -hmm. It kind of also justifies why we see so many big publications on the charts all the time, like, top of the charts. Mm -hmm. Because it's not just the fact that they have the name, but it also is because they're putting in that much effort Mm -hmm. into creating a podcast. Obviously, there's a privilege to it, but at Mm -hmm. the same time, there's a, a lot of attention to detail that makes it so great. Yeah. Speaking of the charts, I think possibly my favourite takeaway from that entire interview was Grace Dent in the chip bath. <laughs> in the chip bath. Oh my goodness. That's just fabulous. But it, it's because it's such a gorgeous image of mm. Grace Dent in the bath and it's just so decadent. Iconic. <laughs> yeah. And then to hear that she was just sitting on a pile of mushy chips <laughs> is, oh, it just takes away the nice magic. vivid image. <laughs> it underlines the dedication that podcasters have to their craft. Yes. Really, also, aren't we all metaphorically sitting in our own baths of cold chips from oh time to time? Speak for yourself, Adam. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think also because we've had Axel Cacoutier on our podcast, Mm -hmm. because he Mm. is involved in so many, I just love hearing people talk about him. (laughs) I just really like such a handsome person. (laughs) We're both huge fangirls of him. It's it's great. It is. And also just hearing about the, the dedication that he takes. And I think it's easy to think somebody like Axel Cacoutier is cross so much he does have multiple resources but also Mm. it does kind of boil down to his creativity Mm -hmm. which doesn't take any money Mm. and and kind of finding new ways to express the stories through music and i think that sort of thing is incredibly achievable at the same time Mm. um although you know you might need to be a genius but (laughs) i feel like that's down to him that's less down to the guardian being this enormous platform because I think when we do these sorts of interviews it's very easy to be like well they have everything of course their podcasts are going to be a huge success what about if you are just a kind of grassroots doing it on your own Mm. but I think it's those moments when you realize actually if you are that way inclined that's something that could really make your podcast stand out Mm. there was a point where um, Nicole mentioned that that someone on her team actually created the podcast from their own bedroom Mm. and that she was very impressed by that and I think that that also um, um, says how much talent there is in the team where like even when they don't have the funding and they're not doing it for the Guardian they're also using that time to create stuff on their own and actually speaking of Axel Cacoutier who as I might have mentioned was on the podcast mm-hmm. um, talking <laughs> about Decode there is a really great article that you've written Reem called How to Achieve the Perfect Podcast Launch where they do talk about Decode but also there is so much stuff on there so if you're interested in podcast launches and why wouldn't you be because you're listening to PodPod <laughs> then go to podpod.com and you can read Reem's brilliant article as well as so many others that are on there thank you so much for listening uh, that was a real pleasure actually what a lovely interview Nicole Jackson was great do sign up to our daily email bulletin so you can hear all about the latest things from podpod.com and follow us on social at podpodofficial and don't forget rate and subscribe we think we're great but you know you might not 
Give us those one we stars. <laughs> Please don't. Thank you so much to Reema Kari and Adam Shepherd. The podcast is produced by Emma Corsham for Haymarket Business Media. And I've been your host, Rihanna Dillon. Thanks for listening.